0: I'm Master at Life and Weight Loss Coach, Jillian Lama, and you're listening to the Body You Crave Podcast, where you'll learn how to end emotional eating, lose excess weight, and feel amazing in your body. No cheating required. Keep listening, and I'll show you how. On today's bonus episode of the Body You Crave podcast, I'm talking with Sarah Madras. Sarah is a licensed mental health therapist turned mindset and transformational coach. She is a dared to lead facilitator, and she believes that leaders are built, not born. And so she's committed to transforming overwhelmed hustlers and toxic cultures into daring leaders and courageous cultures. So Sarah and I had a great conversation, and I think this was so important. We just dove right in and started talking about leadership and how to be a leader at home, in your work, the impact of courage and vulnerability and shame. We start talking about um, enoughness. I felt like I was getting coached on the call a little bit. It was amazing. And of course, we talk about relationships and kids and spouses and all the things because remember y'all, we don't eat in a vacuum. So join me for this incredible conversation. All right, welcome back to another bonus episode of the Body You Create podcast. I'm so excited to have my friend Sarah on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Okay. So my name is Sarah Madras, owner
1: of Sarah Madras Coaching, where I transform overwhelmed six-figure hustlers into seven-figure leaders through the power of mindset and courage skills. I'm a certified Dare to Lead facilitator based on the research of Brene Brown. So if there's any Brene Brown fans out there, you're in good company. I'm sure there's plenty. Yes. (laughs) And so I go into organizations and businesses and work with them on developing their leadership skills so
0: they can build brave leaders and create courageous cultures in their businesses. That's amazing. So, I mean, we've got a variety of different types of people who listen to the show. So some who have full-time jobs, some who work at home. Um, and I think there's this misconception around leadership and how do we be a strong, like positive leader, even within the home, and especially coming from a kind of a Christian perspective where the man is supposed to lead. And mm. so how do you still kind of respect him, allow him to to lead the family, maybe religiously or in, in different areas, but still show up as a strong leader when you are more of a full time wife, mom at home. Right.
1: And so I think it's in the way that we define
0: leadership. And so Uh when we define
1: leadership, it's defined as anybody who sees the potential and people and processes and has the courage to develop that potential. Mm -hmm. So every parent in the world is a leader because they see the potential Mm -hmm. in their children yeah and they have the courage to nurture develop train and invest in that potential so that it can flourish and grow so that's why it's like we use these skills the dare to lead courage skills they're used in our personal life and in our professional life and that's one of the biggest feedback i get from participants is they're Mm -hmm. like man I'm not only using this at work, but I'm using it at home and Mm -hmm. in my marriage and in how I parent and in my family dynamics with extended families, because we do a lot on boundaries and, you know, different things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And so it definitely isn't, oh, well, I'm not the CEO in the corner office, so I'm not Mm -hmm. a leader. Like, uh uh-uh, these are skills that we can all use to be leaders in our lives
0: and in our businesses or careers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. So why do you think it, it requires courage in order to like see the potential and to nurture and foster that?
1: Because courage and vulnerability are best buds, right? Like they're holding hands, walking through the park together. And so the way we define vulnerability is uncertainty, risk and emotional exposure. And so anything when we're going to show up and we are going to have a hard conversation mm-hmm. and we don't know. I'm uncertain of how this hard conversation is going to go or I'm at risk of what if the person, you know, takes what I say the wrong way or what if I Mm -hmm. share this with somebody and then they reject me or they judge me or they Mm -hmm. criticize me. Right. And so wherever there is vulnerability, it is the greatest act of courage. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we're going to have those hard conversations, wherever we're going to show up and there's uncertainty, risk or emotional exposure, it takes an exorbitant amount of courage. Mm -hmm. And so vulnerability is the greatest measure of courage.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. So how can we like, do you have any suggestions or tips? Cause we're just diving straight in. Like there's no beating around the bush. Like we're just like, boom, let's, (laughs) we're we're here to play. (laughs) So. How do we, you know, talking about hard conversations? This is something I talk about with clients as well, because we don't eat in a vacuum. We eat over different emotions, over different situations and circumstances because we have thoughts that create the feelings. And so, and a lot of times when we are trying to stuff emotions, we are also trying to push off hard conversations and we don't want to feel and we don't want to make somebody else feel. And so we are pushing off those hard conversations. And so that's something I know I coach a lot on is how do we have this? This is something that I've come a long way um, in my own personal growth because I never used to have the hard conversations. It would like, I would kind of like hold it, bury it, ruminate on it. Like, keep thinking about like how this happened and I never yeah. let it go. Like I could not, ne- like, it was really hard to forgive. And then it would just kind of explode and be this volcano or it would erupt in this like very extreme negative. Like my husband was like, you want a divorce? Like what the heck? Right? I thought we yeah. were fine. Like what's yeah. going on here? Uh, He's like, I, I just forgot it. to take out the trash. <laughs> right. And I'm like, this was a terrible decision. You are the wrong person. So <laughs> So what are some of your tips for having those hard conversations and and not waiting until the big explosions in order to have them and to bring yes. them up? Because this can go for men and for women.
1: Yes, so, and it's so funny you say that. It's because my first tip is have them at the beginning. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> have it when it's about trash, not when it's about like the trash actually means the last six months of our marriage. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so- It's the phrase, Brene's phrase that I live by. And it's one of those things that they're going to put on my tombstone. But it's really so helpful. It's choose momentary discomfort versus long-term resentment.
0: Yeah. And from a science
1: place, I feel like my husband is literally standing on the outside of the door listening because I heard the (laughs) sound ding. And now the door is cracked a little bit. (laughs) And so from a science space, we go, Okay, how much discomfort and pain can our brains handle? And Mm -hmm. so literally our peak, Mm -hmm. it just peaks for eight seconds Mm -hmm. and then it's not going to go away completely, but it starts to dissipate. And so like, listen, cowboy up for the eight seconds of that intense discomfort Mm -hmm. and push through it, lean into it to fumble around with that initial conversation so that you don't have long-term resentment because that's like cancer to you yes. within your body because you're carrying it around all that resentment just it manifests itself in that physiological place of like that's where the stress hormones are then that's Mm -hmm. why you're carrying all the extra weight around your midsection Mm -hmm. you know what I mean right that's why you're exhausted and have no vitality is because you're storing resentment in your body you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and so I'm like well shoot I would rather have eight seconds of uncomfortableness <laughs> rather than like long-term resentment and like essentially cancer producing cells in my body because right. I'm too afraid to have an actual conversation. And the thing is, we, the, our imagination is a way stronger than reality. Oh, yes. And so the story we created in our mind about, oh, my God, this is going to be so hard and it's going to be the worst conversation I've ever had in my life. Then, when we go to do it, we're like, wait, that wasn't that bad. Yeah. It actually feels really good now. Like, I feel so much better that I shared it, that we, you know, like I got it off my chest, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not
0: carrying that anymore. And it makes total sense because that's our habit brain, like just wanting to keep you safe. Like it Mm -hmm. wants, it's afraid of being like kicked out of the tribe, being left, being abandoned. It's going to tap on some like really deep seated fears. And it's, and so it's going to come up with the worst case scenarios also, I think, because it wants to prepare you for like, this might happen. And I really just, it's been fascinating studying our brains and like realizing that our brains really have not evolved The way that we as humans and people have evolved over time, like even in the last 100 to 200 years where we have like this overabundance of food and all of, you know, we have a lot more, you know, kind of security. We're Mm -hmm. still like our brains still want to act like there is a lion out there chasing us that (laughs) that there is you know, a tribe that's going to kick us out and we're not going to survive. We're not going to live. And, yeah. and as like, and there's no other possible tribe out there in the world. Oh, right. of people. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just it's fascinating, but it's also um, it's a good reminder to, that we need to have compassion for ourselves. And totally. this is something that I've been doing some work on my around my Enneagram as well. Have you done that? Yeah. Are you what number are you? I'm a number one. OK, I'm number six. <laughs> oh, so I tied for one and six. And when Did I was reading two? through them, I was like, I, I think I'm more a one. And so I think mm-hmm. I probably still have some six tendencies. But mm-hmm. there's a lot that really resonates with the one. So I've been following a couple different people, but like reading over that and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense as to yeah. like natural tendencies and as a one being a perfectionist. And I call myself a recovering perfectionist. That's still like, I'm still in active recovery, y'all. Like yes, it's totally. still a daily thing. It, it, yes. But like the yeah. the inner critic and the criticism is really strong in my brain. And so compassion, I have to very conscious, consciously and intentionally work on that.
1: Yeah. Have you done Kristen Neff's self-compassion assessment? No, I don't think so. Yeah. So go to just, I mean, even if you just Google Kristen Neff compassion, self-compassion assessment. And you take the little quiz and it'll give you your baseline. That way, you know what different areas of self-compassion to work
0: on. Oh, that's really good.
1: Yeah, because there's like so one of them is essentially when you over personalize. So when somebody tells you something and you're like, Oh my gosh, that's the worst thing ever. Or like Mm -hmm. you take it on and you're, it just erodes you Mm -hmm. or feeling like you're the only one in the world who's ever experienced it. When you're Mm -hmm. not everybody Mm -hmm. like there is, hundreds of thousands of people that have experienced that mm-hmm. at some point in mm-hmm. their life. You know what I mean? That's so
0: funny because both of those examples, I'm like, yep, check. Oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> check, got that one too. Oh, yeah, girl. Like, <laughs> like, let me tell you all the ways in which this has come up in my life. Which is why I believe so strongly in coaching because without it, we just go through life doing the same things, repeating the same habits, like trying what we think we know or what should be right or should be mm-hmm. accurate, trying to force ourselves into these boxes and and it becomes so challenging um even in terms of like me digging like really coming out as more like weight a weight loss coach mm-hmm. that's not going to tell you what to eat like right that is that is not like i don't fit these labels of 30 or keto or gluten-free or you know like these different things and i'm like yes. ah, but what if it's different for everybody and it took it took over a year for me to really feel confident in yes. like standing in That can be my label. That can be my box is Mm -hmm. there is no box or
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's my whole thing. Yes. And I still feel that when it comes
0: to those labels,
1: especially in the coaching and business world, because I was it took forever. And I still don't even use like I'm like, I don't want to use my label. Like it does it feels weird. Cause it was, okay, well, I have you know, almost two decades as a licensed mental health therapist. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, what do I do with that? I was like, mm-hmm. do I say I'm a therapist that's now coaching? Do I like and yeah. but that people? Because then they're like, well, I'll just give you my insurance and give you my copay. And I'm uh. like no insurance (laughs) doesn't let us do that you know what I mean (laughs) and then it was okay well I'm not really like yes I coach people but it's way deeper than that given my background and so Mm -hmm. I was just like forget it like forget the labels like I'm Sarah here we go. You know what I mean? There is because it's, and especially in the coaching industry, that stigma of a lot of coaches can go out there and take an online course for eight hours and uh-huh. be like, yeah, I'm a coach now. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus. You know? Right. Yeah. And so yeah. it is that instead of looking at somebody's label, it's like getting to know who they are as a person. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause none of us fit a label. Like mm-hmm. if we really get down to it mm-hmm. in the car, the other, do- other day, the boys asked me and my boys are, uh, almost seven and 10 and Lennox, the youngest, he goes, mom, are we Christian? Mm-hmm. And I go, well, it depends on how you define the word Christian. I said, mm-hmm. some people define it differently than others. And Matt's like, well, to me, Christian means do you believe in God and we believe in God. So I would say we're Christian. And I Mm -hmm. go, well, Christianity to me does not believe that it comes with a lot of other things going to church and like praying every day. Like there's like not stipulations, but there's practices and habits, Mm -hmm. right? And I was like, so I would not say we're Christians. I said, Mm -hmm. I would say we believe in God and we're very connected to Mm -hmm. um, spirituality and we're really grounded in our faith. I said, but we are we would not fall in the typical box of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it really is like trying to put. My whole thing is no, we're breaking out of boxes, mm-hmm. breaking out of boxes, and we're connecting with humans on a meaningful level, mm-hmm. not on level of labels, you know, mm-hmm. and, and things that are put onto us mm-hmm. by society. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because I, I, labels can be like we can find and like put a lot of our value and worth in those labels and really define ourselves as like this is why I'm good enough. And I think that was my thing. My thing has always been enoughness. Like Mm -hmm. am I good enough? Am I thin enough? Am I pretty enough? Like enoughness has kind of been that, that soul, the thing under the thing of like, that's always kind of has been that driving factor. And so it was like, my identity was in looking a certain way or my identity was in being a runner or my identity was in this job or this title or, you know, these things. And I think that's an easy trap to fall into, you know, maybe your identity is in your kids, your identity is in as a mom, maybe you are, your identity is so-and-so's wife, things like that, or you're the gardener and, you know, heaven forbid you let your flowers on the front porch die or, you know, things like that.
1: Or like you said, a runner. So if you've had that label and that identity for so Mm -hmm. long, Mm -hmm. and that's where you get all your accolades and all your Mm -hmm. praise. And Mm -hmm. I mean, think about that from just like an outside view. People are cheering, like there's crowds. Whoa, you yeah. Know I mean? oh, they're impressed. They're like, yes. wow. Yes. Yeah. There could be scholarships. So you're like being rewarded and endorsed mm-hmm. with money after a great race. Even when you're a kid, the parents are mm-hmm. like, let's go out and celebrate with right <laughs> restaurant, or, here's ice cream or, you know what I mean? Yeah. And how that all mixes in of like, well, what happens if you get injured and you can't run again. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, well wait. There went like there disappeared all the hurrahs and cheers and all the clapping and all the awards and wait. What about all the fun dinners after when I went mm-hmm. a race? You're like, whoa everything gets tied into that label Mm -hmm. and all the things that go around it, rather than just being like, that's why like I'm the mom who has the t-shirt at my kids' sporting events. That's like, I hope everyone has fun. (laughs) (laughs) Like literally, and I'm like cheering for the other team when they get a play. I'm like, good job, good shot.
0: (laughs) Right? You know, I can, I can acknowledge like, yeah, like good shots, a good basket. Like, Ooh, that Mm -hmm. was a nice throw, you know, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. You know, and I think it's also easy for us to like as a runner, I did get injured. And so then I felt like, okay, well, I couldn't call myself a runner anymore. But now I just put that value and worth and stuff into other things. Or when I stopped defining my value and worth in my body. Oh, well, now I'm going to put it into my job and my career. Now I'm going to put it into my business. Now I'm going to put it into these other things. So how do we break that cycle? And because I
1: was was like, let me tell you, it is not based on any of that. And so here's the thing. So the whole not enoughness is the number one shame trigger. Like Mm -hmm. that is like if we drill down to the core, it's shame, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all the not enoughness is either and not enoughness means who do you think you are? Like, who am Mm -hmm. I to be doing this? And I'm not whatever enough, like, Mm -hmm. you know, skinny enough, pretty enough, rich enough, Mm -hmm. smart enough, 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 enough. And so remember, it's two. It's like a, a gremlin, right? Where they mm-hmm. change. And so it's who do you think you are to be doing this? Meaning everybody else, like there's five million other coaches out in the world. Who's going to want to hear from me? I'm not saying anything new or exciting. Mm mm-hmm. When we think about it, no one is saying anything new and exciting, right? Like unless you have discovered and unearthed like a new organism or like some scientific, no one is saying anything new. Everything is built on somebody's previous knowledge. We're saying it in our own way. We're putting our twist on it. But like that whole, I don't have anything to contribute. What you have to contribute is your personality is your compassion, is your style of delivery. Somebody needs to hear it from you. Mm -hmm. Everything's already been said before. So like, (laughs) say it the way you need to say it. You know what I mean? So those two things are underneath there. Well, what's underneath that? The two biggest fears. So the things that, and this is all science. Like I'm not just like on my soapbox. Y'all can look this up or Google it or reach out to me. But (laughs) (laughs) So the thing that people fear is they fear death Uh and they fear loneliness, Mm. And loneliness is essentially death because it's I'm alone on the island. So I'm going to die alone. I'm going to be without love, without connection, without belonging. Mm -hmm. And that's on a based on a 75 year study. So like, holy moly, 75 years of research to come to that. And so if our fears of I'm going to die and oh, my gosh, I'm going to be alone and no one like there's going to be no connection, no belonging, no love. And then that is what fuels the, well, I'm not have that because I'm not enough. I'm going Mm -hmm. to be alone. Mm -hmm. I'm going to die alone because I'm not smart enough, pretty enough, blah, blah, blah. Nobody's Mm going to, I'm not Mm -hmm. whatever enough for somebody to love me. And so then we try to amass it and like, I'm going to make myself so pretty and skinny and this, that, another, and so smart. And so- People that jump from like, well, I have my doctorate in this and now I'm going to get a third doctorate in that. And, you know, uh-huh. I'm like, let's dig into that. <laughs> <laughs> and what cracked it open for me is when I realized that our worth is something we are born with. Mm-hmm. It is not something we acquire. Mm hmm. So you're born fully, wholly worthy. Like Caleb is not sitting across the zoom from Mm -hmm. me being like, Sarah, do you think I'm pretty enough? Are my (laughs) thighs skinny enough compared to the baby next to me? Yeah. No, he's happy as can be like, woo, not. (laughs) And so we're born with it. And then society is the, what rips it and takes it away. Like society Uh programs up us for comparison, Uh society programs us of what should be Uh acceptable, et cetera. And so once it's like, well, wait a minute, no, no, no. I already had it to begin with. So I just show up as me. I don't have to hustle for my worth. I don't have to hustle to meet somebody else's expectations and standards. It's already in me. It's already mine. Then instead Mm -hmm. of looking outward to others, forget it, to get it and fill it up in us, we look inwards and we're like, oh, we discover that it's already there. Mm -hmm. So it's not searching outside. Mm -hmm. It's turning inward and discovering that it was there to begin with. Mm -hmm. And like, so I do it. I'm very visual. So I do like a, think Mm -hmm. of it like a big old circle or diamond and it's beautiful. And it's your inner light, like shining out of you. And then the things that happen, traumas or experiences, criticisms from people and it like grays out our big shiny diamond. It like taints it. And, you know, yeah. So our job is to just get our little mental eraser and emotional eraser and be like, no, I'm going to, that doesn't tarnish me. Mm -hmm. That doesn't take away my worth. And so they might've said that it does. And I allowed Mm -hmm. it to at that time, but now I know the truth. And so Mm -hmm. I'm not going to allow it to anymore. Mm -hmm. And so then our job is to discover the gem that's, that's been in us the whole time, that self-worth and then get the eraser out. And like clean it back off and make it all
0: pearly and shiny instead of letting right. the world tarnish it all up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You yeah. know, and I think for some people, it that might be a very kind of quick process. And for other people, they have to go back and kind of like uh, wax, you know, yeah. like re- get yes. everything off. Like they have to go through and do that process on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, like it's something where um, those old thoughts and the comparison and the, you know, just the the old beliefs programs, they don't always fall away just with a brand new thought, right? Like I can know that I'm worthy and valuable, but I still have these other thoughts that naturally want to come up or that just, you know, my brain is naturally going to spit out. And I just want all of our listeners to know too, that like that there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, Nothing has gone wrong. It's not a huge waste. But we often think that it's like a one and done kind of thing. Um, oh, and this no, is something that happens. In
1: we're <clears throat> still living in this world where we're still being flooded with these messages
0: every day.
1: Yes, <laughs> so, yes of course, it has to be a daily practice because mm-hmm. we're still in the same environment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. maybe multiple times a day, you know, like you could be yeah. doing like some mindset work and doing your mantras in the morning. and You're like feeling good and you're motivated. And I hear a lot of people talk about this when it comes to like, I'm going to be good. I'm going to stick to my diet and I'm just going to eat less and exercise more. And we have like the best of intentions in the morning, but it kind of wanes and it falls throughout the day. And we kind of, yeah, we just let all of the kind of the habits of our thoughts take over and those beliefs. And so there's nothing wrong with Getting back into that belief, getting back into the confidence, getting back into the feelings and the way you want to feel on purpose all throughout the day instead of letting things happen to you.
1: Right. And because we're not changing the environment either, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're like, well, I'm changing myself, I'm changing myself, but I'm still in that same environment, I haven't changed anything about my environment. That's so much harder. Yes. Yes. Because you are, you're bombarded with that all the time. And so, Like it's not, it's not setting you up for success. You have to change the environment on the outside, just as much as you're changing your environment and your thoughts
0: on, and the stories you tell yourself on the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a time and a place, like we can't always change the external factors. You Mm -hmm. know, you might be in a job and you're like, I freaking hate this job. Like this Mm -hmm. sucks. And you, maybe you can't change it right now. And so that's when the thought work and the mindset, like that is going to be such a big player. Um, but yeah, working on both simultaneously and looking at, okay, how can I change the way that I perceive this? How can I work on me and myself and grow and use this as an opportunity for me to grow without kind of creating unnecessary suffering by staying in something that I know is going to be a challenge every single day. And I, well, and
1: go, go ahead. ahead. Well, and I think, cause for me, it's, you can always change anything and mm-hmm. by you changing you, it changes the environment too. So like mm-hmm. the example of the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you can't change the environment of the job, meaning quit the environment and Mm -hmm. quit the job. You can change the environment by implementing boundaries. You can change Mm -hmm. the environment Mm -hmm. around you by no longer engaging in office gossip Mm -hmm. or, you know, like those kind of things. So it's not this all or nothing of, oh, I have to change my environment. So I have to quit this toxic job. No, that's not what I'm not endorsing everybody to go and like quit their job and then <laughs> make no income. <laughs> right? I'm saying there's a million steps in between the all or nothing. Well, instead of leaving my job, I can implement better boundaries or mm-hmm. I can implement self-care or... I can be more assertive and have those hard conversations mm-hmm. or instead of hustling for my worth and, and working 80 hours, I can own my worth and say, Hey, I'm, I'm working what needs to be to get done in order to do my job well. And that's good enough. Even if that's 40 hours.
0: Yeah. I'm like, and that's so yeah, that's 20 hours. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's so good that you pointed out the all or nothing thinking that we often have. It's like two extremes, they're polar opposites. And then there's nothing in between. And I was talking with a client about this last week because she is really struggling in her marriage. And she's like, you know, it's either this or it's that. And it's like this or divorce, you know, and and it's like, well, what if there were some what if there was space in between? What might that look like? And sometimes it's hard for our brains to comprehend that and and to kind of think in those lines, because how we do one thing is how we do everything. And so. This comes up a lot with food. Of we're all or nothing when it comes to diets. When it comes to this, food is good. This is bad. If I'm going to be bad, I'm just going to go all in, face first into the candy. But there are different degrees, and there's different levels. And by working on on our thoughts and how intentional can we be, and some of these other aspects, Mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, now I can actually show up, and I can see how it doesn't have to be these two extremes, right?
1: And so the science behind why people get stuck in the all or nothing Uh thinking is because you can't, when you are in, it's two separate uh, places in the brain. It's the parasympathetic and sympathetic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You cannot be in the parasympathetic and the sympathetic at the same time. You can't like, uh-huh. you, that is impossible. And so when people are in what, like that that stress response of the fight, flight, or freeze, mm-hmm. when they're in that suffering state. And so if they're struggling in their marriage and they're in the suffering state, that means they're in fight, fight, flight, or freeze, which means they cannot access the creative parts, yeah. which are in relax, restore. And so, of course, they can't access the creative ideas of what's in the middle. Yeah. The steps in between because they are stuck in the suffering state. Yeah. And so that's why I'm like, that's why it's so important to have coaches because uh-huh. The coach is seeing there, the coach isn't in the suffering state. So the coach can access all the creative things in between of all the millions of steps between, you know, stay together and be miserable or get Uh divorced. Uh But the person in it is in a suffering state. So their brain cannot access that. It's just Mm -hmm. like when a person is in depression Mm -hmm. or full on anxiety, panic attack, they cannot access the parts of their brain that are like, what are my coping skills that I'm supposed to be using? (laughs) Right. Right. And so, it's shut down, like that. Literally, that part of the brain is shut down, and the other part of the brain is activated. Of oh my gosh, what mm-hmm. do I have to do to survive? Yes, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That it's, makes so, so much sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So it's like really.
1: That's why I tell people, I'm like, let's write it down when we're mm-hmm. in when we're in this space. Let's write it down. So literally, you don't have to think. You just look and read. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. because Yeah. Sometimes we have to be doing this thinking and this work and, you know, outside of in the moment. And mm-hmm. so often that's where we try to just do things in the moment and push harder and just have more willpower. And we think that that's going to solve it versus making, making plans outside of that and having plans for when things go wrong or when these situations come up and yeah, and allowing that to, to happen and to assess and to figure out like, all right, what worked, what didn't work? What do I want to do differently next time?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So taking this kind of uh, moving backwards, you know, we really didn't dive into like, who are you? What got you into this? Is this where you thought you would be in your life right now?
1: So it's interesting because now that I'm here and it's happening, I realize this, everything in my life has been coming together for the culmination of this point and where I'm at. Yeah. So it's definitely very clearly aligned of like, this is where I'm meant to be and what I'm Mm -hmm. meant to be doing. Um, But I didn't know that. Until mm-hmm. like this year when I went all in on it and was mm-hmm. like, "This is what this feels so aligned." And then when I started to look back on my childhood and was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like even <laughs> as a kid, people were yeah. coming to me for advice, or uh-huh. like I was always the one, you know, where they if they were having trouble with their friends, I would like mediate that. Like in fourth grade, I was in mediation as a student, like one of the student. Oh mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Oh, this totally is like what I've been meant mentioning. <laughs> and so when I grabbed, like I always knew, okay, people were coming to me and asking me for advice. So I knew, all right, I'm supposed to be a therapist. Um, and as a teenager, my parents didn't know what to do with me because I was friends with everybody. Uh-huh. And they were like, well, you shouldn't be friends with that person. And you know, did it. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like they're a nice person. Like. Mm-hmm we have fun together like I don't and so it helped now that I'm adult I realized even then I always believed that people were equally worthy simply because we existed Mm -hmm. I never was like you're not the cool kid so I can't hang out with you yeah like I was the person with friends in multiple different groups Uh uh-huh uh-huh and so that was always so strange to me. And I would rebel against that and be like, you can't tell me who I can and cannot hang out with. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, mm-hmm. why are you judging them? Why are you putting them down? Like, just yeah. get to know them. You know
0: what I mean? Yeah. And so. Do you feel because, like you can read people well? Sorry to interrupt you, but no, 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 like, is that a skill? Like, do you feel like you can read, read people?
1: So. It's hard for me to say yes, because then I feel like I'm being arrogant, but I just need to own my freaking gifts. Mm -hmm. And my gift is, yes, I am an expert in people. So Mm -hmm. I can like when people are talking, I am hearing the message that's Mm -hmm. like three to five layers
0: deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And so that's what helps me really see the potential that they can't even see in themselves and that they haven't accepted yet because they can't see it. So they don't even know it's there. They lack that awareness. And then to get them to once they see it, to actually believe it and embrace it. Uh So I do think that that's just like it's looking back on my childhood. I Uh realize that's who
0: I've always been. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think about other people who I know who never really had much of a they were in like all different kinds of groups. Mm -hmm. And one of the common themes that I noticed is like they can read people really well. And so they can read the group and so they can assimilate really easily. So that makes a lot of sense. It also makes a lot of sense that even back then you were against labels and boxes and you were like, don't put me in a box. Don't make me only hang out with these people. Like I can hang out with everybody. And very much like, who do you think you are to put them down?
1: Like Mm -hmm. just because they are, don't have the cool clothes or just because they're in a lower socioeconomic Mm -hmm. status than you Mm -hmm. are. Like I was very like, Oh, that's a huge trigger for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I truly like in all of, every essence and every being fiber of my body is I'm like, no, we're all equally worthy of connection, of belonging, of love, of respect. And so, one of the things that I had to, to really rumble with was, well, wait a minute. So does that mean like the, the people who are out there like killing and doing harm, they're worthy Mm -hmm. of like love and respect and connection and did it what? And I'm like, well the behaviors are not Mm -hmm. worthy of Mm -hmm. love and respect and connection but whoever that person was Mm -hmm. at the beginning before you know yeah and before life you know altered them Mm -hmm. then that person is worthy of connection Mm -hmm. belonging love and respect and Mm -hmm. To be able to have those boundaries of like, well, I don't respect that behavior, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to engage with that person. Like, I don't have mm-hmm. to be friends with everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> you, can, you I still believe you're worthy of connection, belonging, love and respect. I just may not need to be the one that's like married with the, married to you
0: and dealing with some of those behaviors all the time. <laughs> right, right. And then but that's really interesting, too, because then it's like, OK, if you are married to them, <laughs> you don't necessarily have to go and change humans or, you know, like change spouses. Mm-hmm. You don't have to find a new person. You just have to, when like have hard conversations and set boundaries yeah. and realize that like, hey, this is, I, I can still love you, um, but I don't love this action or I don't love how you were talking to me right. or I don't love how you responded in this way or, you know, cool. things like that. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah.
1: this is not okay with me. Like Matt will be like, right. ooh, you would never let that guy talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be like man I bet he's glad you're not his wife because you would not sit there quietly <laughs> for that mess you know? right yeah yeah, yeah so, it doesn't everybody has different standards so what might trigger uh-huh. isn't triggering her you know and so she is good with so there is no judgment here like yeah, yeah. it's not bothering you it's not a boundary for you so that's why it works for y'all so it's right. not about judging and like placing value on people as one is better than another uh-huh. like it's just that is different and we are all equally worthy of
0: connection and belonging uh-huh. Uh-huh. and even yeah. like the
1: like I'm like all the crazy like serial killer because I was like well, what about a serial killer and I'm like okay well that's like a psychopath and they're in a totally different category uh-huh. that they are incapable of connection belonging uh-huh. and love Right. And so that's why I'm like they are their own separate entity <laughs> <laughs>
0: you thought about it all, like all the bases. (laughs) Yeah, that's so funny. I mean, you were very enlightened as a child because I was very judgy. I still am quite judgy. But one thing that I've I've noticed and realized over the last few years is that I judge others because that's how I'm afraid other people are judging me. And that's ultimately how I'm judging me. Um, You know, it's like what I'm afraid people are judging me about is ultimately how I'm judging myself as and it goes back to that enoughness uh, and the shame of. I'm not good enough. I'm not cool enough. I'm not wearing the right clothes or driving the right car. Or there's these kind of aspects of what it takes to be loved or accepted or, um, you know, approved of. And it's really interesting, too, when we can kind of own the fact that we care about what other people think about us. Like that is really freeing, (laughs) you know, to, to stop pretending and stop putting off and giving this kind of fictitious or just lying to ourselves that like, oh, well, I don't care what people think. Because deep down we we typically do and it might not be all people, but there's usually a few people where we still do care. And I think it's important to, to think about make a small list of like whose opinions do you care about? Like who, who is on your list? That was that was one of my phrases a few years ago was like, you are not on my list. You're yes. not on the list of people with whom I like care and I interact with. So yes. it does not matter what you say because you're not on the list of people who are important to me. I get emails from People like random people who have like joined my email list or, you know, kind of found me somehow and they like they'll call me names. It's so crazy what happens just because of the Internet. But they'll say like, this was so rude and this was so unprofessional. I can't believe you said this. And and I just have to remember, like, you are not on my list. And exactly. I, I somehow I found one of the emails and I responded back and I was like, look, I'm really sorry if I offended you. It's not my intention. Would you like me to remove you from this email list? Like, yes. I can, I'm can. i happy to unsubscribe you, but I'm not apologizing for what I'm saying or how I'm saying it because there are people out there who need to hear this message yeah. and it may not be you and that's okay. And yeah. so I think to be able to own that too and to do it in a respectful way where it's not just a F off or like, well, like you can go pound dirt or, you know, it's not, I'm not engaging with that. But yeah, it's... Yeah.
1: Well, and I think it's a, it's a growth opportunity for that person, Right. And so first, let me back up, because I want to say like, I'm going to own my mess. And Uh. just because I'm aware that those things were in me as a kid does not mean that I did not have my mean girl (laughs) moments that I regret It's an evolution. (laughs) And we can all be judgy. Even now I have moments of judgment and I catch myself. And so it's still it's just levels of awareness and, you know, things Mm -hmm. like that. But mm-hmm. you, you hit the nail on the head when I'm judging people, it is a straight reflection of what I wish I had more of within me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like it hits that envy mm-hmm. and not, oh, I want it because there's a difference between envy and jealousy. And I think mm-hmm. the way we define words and feelings is really important. And so mm-hmm. to me, jealousy is I want what you have and I want to take it from you. I don't want you to have it. Uh huh.
0: And envy. Oh, interesting. Right. Like, I want to take it.
1: Like, I'm jealous of you. Give me that, you know, give me that bike or whatever. Uh I mean, I want it for me. You don't deserve it. I'm taking it from you. Uh huh. Whereas envy to me means, oh, man, that bike is so beautiful. I'm really glad you have that bike. And I really wish that I could afford that bike myself. And I wish I had one. And it's like triggering all that within us of. Yeah the things we don't have and the unmet need within us. And we're like, Oh, I wish I had that.
0: Yeah. And it it doesn't
1: have to be a physical thing. It can be, for me, it's time. Like Mm -hmm. I look at people who are just like carefree and like, I've got all this stuff and they're just like, you know, floating on clouds and always playing and, you know, Uh having fun. And, um, or they're like, having drinks and fun dinners with friends all the time. And I'm like, huh, I wish I was having more fun and like more free uh-huh. time to do that. And it's a reflection of me of the unmet need in me is time and, and freedom. Uh-huh. And that's not the season of life that I'm uh-huh. in you know or the choices that I, I want to make uh-huh. because in order to have that yeah. level of freedom I would need to get a babysitter and all the different steps that into <laughs> uh-huh. all
0: that and I'm just like mm, nope I don't want to put in that So effort. it's a trade-off right and you yes. can decide like this isn't a problem because I'm making this choice and you can own it correct Yeah. yeah yep, for sure Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really interesting. I think we can be very envious and jealous of other people's weight loss and of other people's bodies or of other people's success. And I think it can be both. We can be happy for them and also want it for ourselves. We yeah. can also see it in somebody else want it and not want them to have it right. <laughs> or right. not want them to have it before we have it. Or, right. you know, because there's a lot well, of no, no, a lot no, of, no, of emotions no,
1: like I'm so much nicer than her or I work <laughs> so much harder than her. Why do things come easy? And just, I should have that first.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. When I
1: first moved to North Carolina, because when I moved to North Carolina in 05, I did not know a soul. Uh-huh. Like, was- and where did you move from? From Florida. Okay. And so I had just gotten out of a really difficult, my college um, relationship. And so we were together for five years. It was very toxic uh, dynamic with his family. And it just demolished my self-worth and my Mm self-esteem. And I gained a lot of weight Uh because I was numbing. I was at my heaviest. I did not even recognize myself in the mirror anymore. It looked gray.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Like,
1: and just like, like the soul had been sucked out, like my yeah. life had been sucked out from dealing with all of those dynamics. Yeah. And so when that ended and I was like, I'm graduating from, you know, I am out of here. Like as mm-hmm. soon as I'm done with in-state tuition, I am out of <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And so I loaded up the U-Haul, moved to North Carolina, me and my dog without knowing a single soul. And I got involved in a girl's, you know, 20s. Um, through meetup and we would all uh-huh. hang out and we would go out and we had so much fun. It was so much fun. And there was this one girl in the group. She was not a nice person. Like she uh-huh. wasn't nice to people. huh. <laughs> but we would be out and she would get hit on all the time and i was like what is going on like i feel like we're both in,
0: like pretty He's mean yeah this <laughs> bitch keeps getting all the guys yeah yes, like that's the- <laughs> <laughs> and i don't understand i'm a really nice freaking person <laughs> <laughs>
1: right and so that was totally a jealousy example of like you're a mean person. The guys I want the uh-huh. guys, I want the attention to uh-huh. build the steam back up after that relationship. Like so, that's an example of jealousy versus mm-hmm. like you know the envy where I would have been like, oh, that's cool
0: that he's hitting on you. I'd like his friend to hit on me. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then having the courage to then hit on the guy instead, which was kind of a whole new dynamic. I think right. women kind of play with at some yeah. point in their twenties, like, oh, let me ask this person out. Um, yes. I did ask my husband out. That's how we started dating. Was awesome. I asked him to his Marine Corps ball? Um, actually I actually had to go to his boss to get his phone number, so that, that you know, so not funny. not awkward at all. <laughs>
1: See, but that's what I mean. Is that courage? Like uh-huh. that is totally a moment of vulnerability where it could have gone really slow. <laughs> right. And right. You had the courage to do it, and then the reward that you reaped from that moment of courage. Uh uh-huh. Hello, now it's the person that you're married to, and that you have a family with. Like that's how yeah. you. You know what I mean? And so these moments of courage Mm -hmm. that willingness to be like, yes, I'm vulnerable right now and I'm doing it anyways because I'm showing up with courage reaps such rewards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we just really are mindful and observant of that, rather than just like plowing through life, Mm -hmm. like really take a second to let those things sink in of like, This is happening. This is the reward from that moment of courage.
0: Yeah, right. Absolutely. And I think also looking at, you know, you might be in challenging situations or having these hard conversations or going through a tough time with um, a spouse, with your kids, with a job, with, you know, a variety of different things. And really being able to look at what's working in this? What is going well? What can I? And it's not about fake it till you make it, because I am not a fan of that. Like, I don't right. think we have to fake anything. It's not just about thinking happy and pretending like life is all good, but we can start to look for what's the positive in this. So 2020 was like a pretty good year for me and my family. Like we we did pretty well throughout the year. My business grew. We had a baby. Husband got a new job. Like we moved back to the Southeast. Like there was a variety of things that went really well. 2021 has kind of been like this hammer where there's been like a lot of there's been a lot of death there's been cancer diagnoses there's been a lot of a lot of negativity in it and yet i can still look and see the positives and the benefits of like thank goodness this cancer diagnosis came early thank goodness yeah. we have time to go we're we're on the right side of the country to be able to drive instead of needing to book a flight thank goodness we have the time that we can plan and we can go visit and we can say our goodbyes you know like it's not always the easiest of situations and it doesn't mean that i don't also speak still feel sad or loss right. or grief. Like that's still okay. But looking at the, looking for the positive in things too, yeah. it helps to keep us from really sinking down into some of those pits of despair, frustration, anger, self-loathing, things like yeah. that. Well, and it's yeah. really that proof,
1: right? Like we need the proof in order to rewire our brain. Mm -hmm. So I totally agree with you. The fake it till you make it doesn't work because our brain knows what a lie is. Like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) right. Not stupid. Like, girl, you are not a Victoria's Secret supermodel. Like, stop telling yourself that.
1: Right. Exactly. Like, our brain knows the lie. (laughs) So it's really identifying what the truth actually is and then finding all the proof for it. Mm. And so the proof is like, I have proof that everything is going to be okay. in Mm -hmm. the end Mm -hmm. and here are all the examples throughout my life of when it was hard and then here's the proof of that it was worth it or you know these are the things and so it's always being able to collect that evidence and that proof because that is literally what is strengthening the neural synapses in your brain like when we want to find all the proof about how you know are uh, the example of the person struggling in the marriage. If you're looking for all the proof about how your marriage mm-hmm. sucks, I mm-hmm. guarantee you, you will find, you will find it.
0: Yep. In just like when you're Absolutely. shopping
1: for a car. You're like, oh, I didn't notice that there is five thousand, you know, (laughs) Nissan Sorrento's or or whatever it is right? on the road now. You know what I mean? Or when you're trying to get pregnant, everybody in the freaking world around you is pregnant. Mm -hmm. And you're like, where did all these pregnant people come from? It's Mm -hmm. because what you focus on expands. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, listen, if I'm going to try on a pair of jeans, they better make my butt look good. They better be the softest, most comfortable jeans in the world so that I feel glamorous. Mm-hmm. We're going to try on stories the same way. Mm, so if yes. i try on a story, that story better make me look real good. Make yeah. me feel like all glamorous and like a rock star. Or why am I wearing the dang story to begin with? Like, why would I wear a pair of jeans that make me feel like crap?
0: Yeah. Well, so why are we walking around wearing stories that make us feel like crap? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think too, like kind of on that clothing analogy, like we can buy all the new clothes that make us feel good. But if we still have a bunch of sucky clothes in the closet, clothes that like make us feel bad about ourselves and like Mm -hmm. clothes that, you know, don't fit right and that are outdated. And we have, we try to like mesh them all together. Like we have to also learn and practice unbelieving the old thoughts as we are practicing the new ones and trying those new ones on. And, and it's all a process and it's okay. And again, yeah. this is why we love coaching because that's what a coach will help you do is find those thoughts and help get you back into belief and help get you back into where you want to be and moving forward. And and honestly, to help you see that, like sometimes what we think is a fact or truth or reality is just a thought we've just keep telling ourselves over and over again.
1: Just imagination because our brain yeah. does not know the difference between real and imaginary.
0: Yeah. So we are coming up on on our time. Do you still have a few minutes to tell us about your health journey or do you have a hard stop? No, I don't. I'm good. Okay. All right. Cool. So you mentioned having after, so with your two boys and labor, you mentioned having a lot, like a lot of back labor, a lot of back pain and really wanting to get your health right in just in, in feeling better and kind of strengthening your core. So tell us a little bit about your journey um, coming out of those pregnancies and what you were doing, but also what you were thinking and feeling and, and the reasons as to why you, you chose and went that route.
1: Right. So for me, it actually even goes back to childhood where I never felt comfortable in my body. Like I have pictures of second grade and then third grade, and I don't even look like the same person. I literally look like the third grader ate the second grader. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And so when I reflected back on that, I was like, what happened in that summer between yeah. and third grade? And it was we lived in Florida, like an hour, 15 minutes away from Orlando. And we had season passes to Disney and we would uh-huh. go to Disney every weekend, all the time, uh-huh. eat all the like savory, amazing, but like different oh, food. Yeah, <laughs> it's like vacation all the time. And so you're eating less healthy stuff because it's yeah. your vacation. And from that moment on, like I remember as a kid looking down and my stomach would be smaller than like the pooch underneath your belly button. And so my little like, because how old are you when you're in third or fourth grade, like 10, 11? I think even younger, like eight, nine. Yeah. And so in that little brain, I was like, I need to make my stomach bigger so that it matches the pooch. And so then, then it looks like a straight line and flat. That is what oh, I told myself. okay. This. <laughs> yeah. It is. Or I, this is, i actually never said this out loud. So I'm being very vulnerable right now. Or I would go, well, I like that my stomach is flat. I wonder if I can just get scissors and cut off the like pooch area. Like, uh-huh. At- uh-huh. Stuff in my head and so you add on to that early puberty and being sexually harassed since fourth grade mm-hmm. and you know like a lifetime of that I never felt safe in my body or mm-hmm. that my body belonged to me it never mm-hmm. felt like my body belonged to me mm-hmm. and so during pregnancy it was like the only time of oh I feel beautiful in my body and I'm embracing my body. And you know, the key difference people are really freaking nice to pregnant women and don't say anything bad about pregnant women.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And I was like, Oh my God, the only thing that has freaking changed here is the interaction with the outside world and the environment of how everybody thinks that pregnant women are so gorgeous and they're glowing and la 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 la." (laughs) light. Yeah. Right. And I was like, Oh, so this is how people could feel in their bodies all the time if we were yeah. just nice to people and like didn't, didn't, you know, put these parameters on what their body should look like if we just like celebrated their bodies. Because right. during pregnancy, people are celebrating your body. Yeah, yeah. And so pregnancy, you know, like, yay, celebrating my body. Didn't worry about what I look like in a bikini because it's a big old pregnant belly. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> right. And so after it was actually a trip before the boys were born, I said to Matt, he wanted children before I did. I still wanted some time. And I was Mm -hmm. like, here is my offer. (laughs) If you (laughs) take me to Italy for a vacation, because I knew I Uh wanted to go to Italy before we had kids, I said,
0: then I will agree to start trying earlier. Uh Uh-huh. And he was like, deal sold. <laughs> I love it. Cause you know what? Kids are a negotiation in my house too. And like baby number two, he or she like that's a negotiation. I'm not ready to negotiate yet, but that will be. <laughs> yes. Yes. Here are the things I want to
1: off my list before we do that. Yes. Yeah. And so when we were over there, we're in all the museums and looking at all the statues. And I was like, wait, is that what a woman's body looks like naked when she's sitting down?
0: oh i had no
1: idea yeah the only thing we saw was the deception of mm-hmm. magazines that aren't even real of, you know so i had no actual reference point mm-hmm. of what a woman's body looks like naked mm-hmm. until i was at italy and saw all the statues
0: yeah oh that's fascinating
1: right and i was like oh Like, so you sit down and
0: then gravity (laughs) (laughs) or you're standing and you're in this beautiful pose or maybe you're laying and there's a little bit of a roll right here. Or like maybe there is a little belly like pooch area that like is not supposed to be flat or maybe is it naturally flat, like all on its own. Yeah. Yes.
1: And so I was like. Oh, like it was really that like that was the aha moment. And that uh-huh. was the first reference point. And so then I really started seeing because once you it's that whole awakening, right? And once you wake yeah. up and you see, then you can't unsee. And so <laughs> then I started seeing yeah. and I was like, oh, totally like I saw them for what they actually were versus, oh my gosh, her stomach must be totally flat under there. Like I just was more observant. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the people I had idolized around me of like, oh, if only I look like her, uh-huh. I actually looked, I'm like, she totally does have that little pocket of pooch when she sits down. Uh-huh. Or, thigh gap. I thought I was supposed to have thigh gap and I tried and I tried. <laughs> and a personal trainer said to me one day, he was like, You cannot get thigh gap. Your, your hips are not wide enough. He was like, just let it
0: go. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's so true though. Like we have these, and I don't know where they come from, whether that's like magazines or kind of passed down what we pick up as kids from, you know, mom or grandma or somebody saying, but yeah, we have all of these different parameters on what our bodies should look like.
1: Yeah. Those like awakening moments of wait, she's beautiful and she doesn't have thigh gap of like real people around me in life, yeah. like reality.
0: Yeah. and so I was,
1: That's when I started to be like, Oh, well, this is what real is. Mm-hmm. You know, I was brainwashed before by all the magazines and all the, you know, uh, mm-hmm. celebrity lifestyle, mm-hmm. but this is what real is. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to really claim my body as mine, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I was like, it, I'm making it mine. Whereas before it belonged to everybody else. And I was mm-hmm. like, now I'm making it to where my body belongs to me. Yeah. And so just really coming to that place of, OK, I was celebrated when I was pregnant. It did a number like the labor and delivery did a number on my back and I had all kinds of issues and PT and, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff. And I was like, well, what? now that I'm on this journey of understanding the truth and really reclaiming ownership of my body for me, what do I want it to be mm-hmm. for me? Mm -hmm. not based on society, not anybody else. And so when I got really clear on what I wanted my body to be for me, that was the shift because I don't do well with people telling me what to do. Like, if you want me to not do something, then tell me to do it.
0: (laughs) I know, like, it's really interesting. I thought I was really good at following rules and following directions. Um, And sometimes I am. But if the rule is stupid, like, I am not doing that. Yeah. If my husband wants to tell me what to do, mm-mm. So yeah. I love you, but no, yes. <laughs> you're yes. not the boss of me. Like, little, like the, my yes. little, you know, three-year-old stubborn Wait. self comes well, out. It's yeah, so it's like
1: uh-uh. yeah. Yeah. And so when it was no longer, because I was rebelling and I was mm. like, it's everybody else telling me what to do. And I was like, no, no, no. But when yeah. I owned it and it was me claiming it and declaring it for myself that shifted it. uh, that's the, like that intention is in alignment Mm -hmm. doing it for somebody else. That intention is out of alignment, doing it because you think you should, because society tells you that's out of alignment and creates resistance because we all have an inner teenager who's going to rebel. Right. Right. We're going to resist. We're going to be, we're going to rebel. And so once I like was like, Oh, this is on my terms of what I want it to be it clicked into place and you would be surprised what a mindset shift does for your body and how oh, yeah weight starts to drop off of you because of
0: that mindset. Yeah, absolutely. No, sometimes it's just giving ourselves that permission to eat the forbidden fruit, eat the mm-hmm. bad foods like when we learn to create a healthier relationship with food, when we stop seeking all of our joy and pleasure in food, you know, it's like right. we can we can do so much more and and focus on these other areas of our life and really focus on that life aspect and trust that the body is going to come when we are busy living our lives instead of, you know, worrying about what the scale is going to say on a day to day basis.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that we're even teaching our boys because. I don't want to get into this, like where they're older and they're like, well, mom and dad didn't let me eat X, Y, and Z. And so we say to them, you can have, you know, one like cereal bar for breakfast. Uh You don't need five cereal bars. Yeah. And so we're really teaching them, like we're coming from that mindset of moderation and you can eat,
0: you know, anything that you want. It doesn't need to become an obsession. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, it's like, okay, if I'm, if I want five cereal bars, maybe I'm actually hungrier than I too. Maybe I'm too hungry for a cereal bar to satisfy, you know, it's like, let's start to figure out how hungry am I? What is going to satisfy this hunger and fill me up and fuel me and taste good. And maybe a cereal bar is part of it, but yeah, maybe it's not the whole thing or the only thing.
1: Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I'm going to use that. I'm going to say that to them next time of like, Hey, it means that you're you're so hungry that a cereal bar isn't going to be the isn't going to be the accompaniment for that yeah 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 Yeah. so cool
0: well this seems like a good place to wrap it up although i could stay talking with you forever so (laughs) we'll just have to have you back on the show again in the future Um, but thank you thank you so much for joining us where can our listener listeners connect with you and learn more about you and what you do Yep. So they can find me at
1: sarahmadras.com. So that's M-A-D-R-A-S is my last name. Or they can join me in the Brave Leaders Dare to Lead group on Facebook. It's a free group where I go in once a week and do free coaching. Um, My accountability coach is in there as well. She does free coaching uh, once a week as well.
0: You can connect and build your skills to be a brave leader. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you again for being here. I can't wait to hang out with you again I in the know, future because so we live in the same town, so it's fabulous. We actually get to hang out and be friends and yes. you know, do all yeah. the things. It's not the best when like the guests are friends and become friends too. I'm like, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like you people. Yes. So Cool. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks. You too.